From simple to gourmet, nothing's fresher or tastier in recipes than homegrown, fine-ripened veggies and savory herbs. Do you grow your own? With Bonnie Plants, a kitchen garden at your back door or in containers can produce an amazing harvest for cooking and for sharing. Find how-tos, plans, and more at bonnieplants.com. Your recipes might not change, but your results sure will. Fresh, healthy Bonnie veggies and herbs. Get growing. I'm Jessica Harris, and welcome to my welcome table. Gather around this special table. It's scarred with memories, pitted with burned spots from hot skillets, and decorated with moisture rings from frosty glasses of lemonade, beer bottles, bourbon and ginger ale, and untold goblets of red wine. This table will be our flying carpet as we travel around the world. I'll share some of my secret spots. We'll meet new friends and reconnect with old ones. Sometimes, the table will be covered with fine porthot linen and my mother's bone china, and we'll sup on caviar and champagne. Other times, we'll cover it with yesterday's news and hanker down for a crawfish boil or a lobster supper. Whatever the meal, by the end of our time together, we'll have shared some special friends, sacred spots, and the food, drink, and music that connects them. So come, join me at my welcome table. Hi, my name's Mitzi Pratt, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I'm Patrick Dunn, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is John Barkley, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is Anne McBride, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I'm Betty Fussell, and I, too, am sitting at the welcome table. Compass Point, 41.2 degrees north, 70.3 degrees west. Oak Bluffs, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. It's summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime, 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 summertime. A couple of years back, I was asked by the developing Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture to consider donating an object or two from my family house on Martha's Vineyard to their collection, with the possibility of having it displayed. It turns out that the exhibit space includes a section that will pay homage to iconic places in African American life. Now, I'm not going to divulge the spots, but suffice it to say, one of them is a place I hold dear, Oak Bluffs, Massachusetts, the traditional black summer enclave on Martha's Vineyard Island. With that invitation and a subsequent one to consult on conceptualizing and curating the cafeteria space of the new museum that's being built on the mall in Washington, D.C. and scheduled to open in 2015, I began to think of my Oak Bluff summers. I've recently also become a contributing writer to Martha's Vineyard magazine, and some of my columns are firmly rooted in memories of my more than 55 summers spent in a carpenter gothic gingerbread cottage on a street in that summer enclave. They've been spent in a one-board-thick, handmade house that's suited to habitation only during summer months. However, when my parents bought it in the mid-1950s, it had been lived in by two spinster sisters who had neither hot water nor bathing facilities and only a cast-iron, six-burner plate coal stove for heat. 
Now, I love that stove because even though it occupies most of the kitchen like a large iron beast, it's a potent reminder of the house's history, and it will never leave the house as long as I have anything to do with it. Needless to say, the second reason would be because it will have to be dismantled piece by piece and carried out by a team of very strong folk. However, since 1957, hot water, two bathrooms, an enlarged living room with a big old fireplace have been added. And now, it's even got Wi-Fi. But it's still minimalist modern. With few conveniences, because it's really a country cottage at heart. Back in the day... The houses were purchased, furnished, and were crammed full of antiques. And for many years, the best shopping on the island was at the town dump, where the unwary and unsavvy newbies like ourselves cleared houses of 19th century cottage furniture that would be worth a small fortune in today's market. In fact, when Jackie Kennedy gave her legendary televised tour of the White House and came to the Lincoln bedroom, she proudly pointed out the Lincoln bed. My folks and I, watching at home on the black-and-white TV set, could do nothing more than look up at each other and say, Oops. Yeah, we'd had one of those high-back beauties and had sent it on its way to the dump in order to keep the East Lake set of cottage furniture in the brass bed. All three of them had been jammed together in a very small, gabled bedroom to serve Lord only knows what purpose. Now, Oak Bluffs has become the stuff of legend, as the Smithsonian exhibit will explain, but it has also become the subject of many misconceptions. Today, many think that the spot is a nirvana, a haven for millionaires where only the elite play. Certainly, Martha's Vineyard has some of that aura, although ours does not glitter as brightly as does that of the other island off Cape Cod coast, Nantucket. However, back in the day, Oak Bluffs was a spot that for many years seemed fixed in the amber of the 1950s. Families were not tycoons. Certainly some had more than others, but there were doctors and lawyers and dentists and school teachers and librarians and just plain hard-working folk who'd managed to put enough away to secure a home or a rental on an island that had become a quiet, calm haven for African Americans. Kevin Parham's new book, The Martha's Vineyard We Knew, published this year by Priya Publishing, dispels some of the aggrandizing myths that are now attached to my summer town and tells of another summer vineyard, one closer to the experience of folks I knew. I echoed the thoughts of reviewer Skip Finley, who said of the book in the Vineyard Gazette, and I quote, Mr. Parham's poignant book is filled with memories that are remarkably similar to my own. Where we went, what we did, popular activities, and places shared. Wonderful memories of summers in a place close to paradise. We all picked blueberries, and some of the guys dived for coins off the dock when ferries arrived. Mainly the guys. I'm still a non-swimmer, but I remember admiring them as they crested the water, glistening like sleek otters, yelling, Throw me a coin! to those arriving or departing summer visitors. There were house parties and beach parties and all of the carefree summer pleasures. 
for me, and I reiterate, I am not a beach lover for multiple reasons, summer meant I could take about 400 steps and be in the library, and another 200 and be at one of my favorite candy stores. Now, the library was located in a weather-beaten shingled house that today houses a pharmacy. Then, it was a rabbit warren of shelves overflowing with books. Each island town has its own library. That's part of the quirky system that makes the vineyard unique. Each library had its own specialty. Back then, the Oak Bluffs Library was known for having one of the island's best summer reading collections, and I delighted in the mysteries and read my way through volumes each summer, sometimes surprising myself when signing them out by recognizing my developing signature and realizing that I'd already read the books years before. But they were mysteries for the most part, and so I read on until I remembered the plot or finished the book yet again. Today, the library has moved a bit out of the center of town to the campus, as they call it, that is Oak Bluff's response to the mauling of America. I head there infrequently and miss the summer routine past. These days, I haul up crates of books from New York or periodically indulge myself at the Book Den, a former barn that has been transformed into a used bookstore where I indulge in vintage cookbooks, forgotten travel recites from the 50s, and, yes, old mysteries. It's my perfect rainy day excursion. Then, as now, my sweet tooth prevails when reading, and sooner or later, I find myself in one of the town's candy stores. When my family first arrived on the island, Oak Bluff still retained some of its purveyors from the town's glory days at the beginning of the century. One such spot was Darling's Candy Shop that was located at the midpoint of Circuit Avenue, the town's main drag. With a brilliant gold and crimson sign, it beckoned one and all and was a delight. A Rube Goldberg-esque taffy-pulling machine fascinated young and old alike with its movement, as it pulled the saltwater taffy to just the correct chewiness. There was popcorn galore, including popcorn bars wrapped in waxed paper and a tri-colored pink, brown, and white sugared kind. My favorite, though, was Molasses Puff, an aerated confection that was a bit like puffy peanut brittle. Molasses Puff was hard to come by because it could only be prepared on days when the weather was just right, not too humid, and perfectly clear. Moisture turned it into a sticky mess. Tasty, to be sure, but gooey, gluey, and difficult to eat. Decades later, I'd find Puff again in a sweet shop on Boston's North End, and even after that, in one right nearby, in one of Oak Bluff's newer candy shops, the Good Ship Lollipop. The Good Ship Lollipop has assured the continuity of Oak Bluff's sugar rain, joining older standbys like Ben and Bill's and Murdoch's Fudge. The Good Ship, though, is a sweet trip down memory lane with candy from generations past to tempt old and young alike. They have everything from molasses peppermint drops to Necco wafers and candy dots, licorice whips, and saltwater taffy. And there, a few summers back, Amid the Skittles and the M&M's, I discovered old-fashioned puff that was the molasses puff of my youth. 
I cleaned them out and doled it out to myself with the parsimonious thrift of Silas Marner. Too soon, though, it was gone, and requests for more have netted no results. Oh, well, there's still fudge and panucci and the dark chocolate molasses crisps that I can get from Ben and Bill's further along the main street. Years ago, Oak Bluff's Town Beach was baptized with the name The Inkwell, but the term was used judiciously and only with very close friends, if then. So it shocks today to see t-shirts and hear OB Town Beach referred to as such by one and all of all hues. The problem with self-deprecating humor comes when the joke leaves the community for which it was originally intended. Now, a film and innumerable references have changed my opinion, and I've returned to calling it Town Beach, remembering when the adjacent strip was known as Pay Beach and boasted an actual boardwalk, and it can be seen in the old postcards. The old turnstile remained for many years, rusting more and more each summer until it too finally disappeared. But when I was a child, I remembered changing rooms, the boardwalk, and more. But while the beach is a major spot for socializing, and there were groups of women who spent all day there and raised a generation of children under the retaining walls, I was happy to remain up the road on my own front porch watching the world go by. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played around. Well, you don't look like the sort My hidden talents above A competitor hasn't been found to defeat me I bet you're a real good sport Shall we say the ball is in your court? The town's public tennis courts are across the street from my house, and the front porch, therefore, provides the perfect venue for people watching. The courts are also where I made my first island friend, Margaret Leonard, now Burke. Mischievous nine-year-olds, we tried to crawl under the net to play on what were then red clay courts that were rolled out and watered by Mr. Crozier, who had astonishingly knobby knees and who was a venerable, true, hearty Yankee. The courts were another hub of Oak Bluff's activities. Before there were the Williams sisters, there was Althea Gibson and I saw her play on the courts in Oak Bluffs, across from my front porch. The courts were the place where one and all showed up to see and be seen, and where cutthroat games were played by a fierce group of players who always arrived in the latest tennis whites. This was formal Oak Bluffs, before the age of informality ushered in a more laissez-faire dress code. Along with day-to-day play, there were also occasional tournaments, especially the Labor Day tournament. Folks who were packing up their homes for the winter would pack their cars, play their set, bid their summer friends goodbye, and then head off to the ferry to head home for another year. 
moving up to the finals occasionally meant forfeiting a hard-to-come-by car spot on the ferry or the game itself. As a non-player, I just watched. The tournament has gone and has been supplanted by the Tucker tournament that is still held across the street from my house. Don't know as I should have ate them last four dozen clams. <laughs> now look here, Oren Peasley. Just to keep your hands in your pockets if they're so cold. This was a real nice Having aspirational African-American parents meant that it was not all beaches and picnics. There were things to be done and improvement to be soaked in. The cottagers were a group of women who owned houses in Oak Bluffs, many of whom, like my mother, were raising children solo during the summers while their husbands worked in New York or Boston. The men arrived late Friday evening. My father would always regale me with tales of a train called the Night Cape Cotter that left from New York after work and arrived on a spur line in Woods Hole's ferry terminal in time to make the last ferry that became known as the Daddy Boat. The cottagers were equally aspirational, and so there was a round of events, some of which continue until this day. There was a fashion show. I modeled in it when I was a teenager and a young adult. Trash and Treasures and I make a point to see what's been found, although the name has changed so that trash is no longer included, and an annual clam bake that I have missed every year because of a shellfish allergy. It's funny, though, to think that these events have now lasted for going on three generations. Whatever today's hype about Oak Bluffs may be, some of it true, some of it spurious, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was about the family values of a place. It was a place of family vacations for people who were striving middle and upper class black Americans, not tycoons. Simple pleasures abounded, from blueberry picking and crabbing to community sings. OB for many of us, remains a spot where time stops. And for those of my vintage, memory and modernity come together. From many a community sing past, I remember the lyrics to something that was at one point called the Vineyard National Anthem, only fitting for a place that refers to the place on the other side of the ferry ride as America. Our anthem is sung to the tune of Finlandia and begins, When far away and seeking recreation, we turn to the O island in the sea, where peace is found and beauty all around us, the shimmering shores of Martha's Vineyard Isle. Hokey, yes, but a sentiment that keeps many of us returning year after year, generation after generation, to a place that was, and still occasionally is, 
a sanctuary. Until next time. Keep my skillet good and greasy when I'm gone, gone, gone. Keep my skillet good and greasy when I'm gone.